everybody. This is Mike Conway, and you're listening to RPG Showcase. Yes, I said howdy, and I'm allowed to. I'm from Wyoming, so howdy. Today, I have some really exciting and heartfelt news for you today. I'm taking some real milk of human kindness, and I'm not talking a D&D magic item. People in the game publishing industry have heart, and I'm going to be talking about that today. But first off, I'd like to thank listener Carl Cravens from the Fudge List and from Fudge Factor Magazine for pointing out a problem with my RSS feed. Because of that, my webmaster was able to jump right on it. Thanks, Carl. Note that I have added a little something to the main page on my site. If you're not subscribed to a feed, but you'd like to know when the site is updated, enter your email address in the little box on the right, and you'll receive a notice whenever I make any changes or additions. And lastly, before we get on with the program, I want to let you know, you can find us at a new domain name, www.rpgshowcase.com, and I can be reached at mike at rpgshowcase.com. You can also leave comments if you wish, but if you leave a URL, it won't be clickable. Uh, due to some comment spam, you'll need to verify that you're a human being. Sorry, but I only want real fans posting, and that's you. If you want to advertise on RPG Showcase, you only need to contact me, and I'll send you a rate sheet. Now then, on to... All the news stories that's fit to talk about, even some that ain't. Long as we're starting off with the news, we're going to start off with big news. The motherload of Dragon Hordes. October will see the release of Paizo Publishing's next premier book, The Dragon Compendium, Volume 1. This 256-page best-of compilation collects some of the fan-favorite articles from the last 30 years of Dragon Magazine and updates them to the latest version of the Dungeons & Dragons game, complete with full-color artwork. The Dragon Compendium, Volume 1, features updated information on races, classes, prestige classes, magic items and equipment, feats, monsters, and a whole chapter devoted to dragon classics, such as Gary Jordan's Tesseract and Ed Greenwood's Runestones articles. Other updated content includes information on such favorites as The Deathmaster, The Jester, Solo Dungeons, which was written by Gary Gygax, and The Chi Square Test. Plus, there's more than 30 monsters, including the Bleeder Beholder and the Orange, Purple, and Yellow Dragons. You can find more information at Paizo's website, which we've conveniently linked to on the website. Now, that's, i got to tell you, that's a book I'm going to be getting, and I'm going to review that. And in other news, Dave Arneson who is famous as the co-designer of the original D&D game, is set to address the history and future of role-playing games. Mythic Entertainment, developer and publisher of the critically acclaimed massively multiplayer online role-playing game Dark Age of Camelot, today announced that Dave Arneson, co-designer of the original D&D role-playing game, will give an opening keynote address at the upcoming Dark Age of Camelot roundtable fan gathering. As the father of role-playing, Mr. Arneson will offer a unique perspective on the industry and the future of role-playing games and their impact on the computer game industry. Dave Arneson is truly an originator in the area of role-playing games, and his work laid the foundation for RPGs, including Dark Age of Camelot as we know them today, said Eugene Evans, Vice President of Marketing and Business Development for Mythic Entertainment. We're thrilled to give the Roundtable fan-gathering attendees a chance to meet Dave and hear his perspective on the history of role-playing games and insight into what the future holds. The annual West Coast Roundtable fan-gathering will be held September 23rd and 24th at the Rio Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. For more information, visit the link on the website. And speaking of state of the industry, another one was held at Gen Con 2005. Uh, this discussion of the current status of the gaming industry was headed by Robin Laws, a prolific freelance author, uh, Shane Hensley, a game designer currently involved as the lead writer of City of Villains, Chris Fitzpatrick, head of Crocodile Games, and Justin Achille, manager of editing and development at White Wolf Games. The general consensus of the panel was recognition that the industry is currently in a downturn of the market. While there is some concern that this may be a permanent small market blip or part of the standard boom and bust cycle of the gaming industry, uh, the general consensus was that this was just part of that natural cycle. Overall, the system is somewhat fragile given the niche nature of the game industry. 
Manufacturers often try to carve out a particular focus niche with a focus on retention over expansion. Similarly, this leads to distribution being a fairly hefty hurdle for new product lines. Since distributors have to keep a fairly low inventory margin on their orders, and given the boom and bust cycle, as distributors have to invest their own cash initially on the products they circulate, they often just can't support a line with limited but focused demand. This might lead to a shift to niche distributors, or the obstacle may just remain. Uh, so far, nobody knows. The floor was open to questions. Uh, a couple of the big themes focused on ways to get around the distribution obstacle. The panel asked an open question to the audience about their opinion on current RPG prices. They responded that they felt they were fair. The general increase of prices has stemmed from a mixture of causes, from the most basic aspect that paper is more expensive to a general trend toward higher product quality. The profit margins remain relatively low for manufacturers, distributors, and shops, despite the general increase in book prices. Fortunately, there are some ways manufacturers can save on overhead, such as electronic publishing or Guardians of Order's innovative uh, cheap gamers editions that provide the same content as their full production versions at a reduced cost by trimming the high-end features. Personally, I have one of those. It's the uh, Big Eye Small Mouth D20. I was it was really nice to get that for less than 10 bucks. Now, the point was raised during the discussion that the game industry is a fairly diverse and truly several interrelated industries. This point was highlighted by the couple of specific questions regarding miniatures. For instance, the miniature market obviously can't go online, as miniatures really are not transferable electronically. Although you could have fooled me with some of the miniatures on RPG Now. Um, for that matter, though, the, market, the miniature market truly... Uh, draws from a different base than a collectibles market or from role-playing games, as the game is only part of the hobby. As such, the miniatures market is more insulated from many of the boom-and-bust impacts. Whereas tabletop RPGs are seeing a uh, shift with the rise of massive multiplayer online RPGs, the miniatures markets are not really noticing any changes. Similarly, the question was raised about a generalized miniatures rule system comparable to RPG's multi-genre GURPS and D20 system. While such an idea was tried but never published, this is not a project liable to draw in many miniatures manufacturers. It simply does not make sense business-wise for them to develop a generic system for any genre, as their games are typically meant as a direct tie-in to the figurines. Some discussion was made about different licensing options, such as the impact of video games on related tabletop games or models. I'm sorry, novels. Both were seen as viable avenues to introducing new consumers to specific product lines. There are some risks for investing in such, as typical gaming stores cannot compete with chain stores on video games to draw in customers. Similarly, profit margins on novels are negligible, although manufacturers might employ them as a self-paying advertisement. The ending point of the session really highlighted the connection different licensing products have. To quote the panel, there will be no movement rules the movie, as it is a setting that sells games not the rules. Now I'm going to take off my reporting hat for a moment and go ahead and throw in my opinion hat. I spent years in the gaming industry both as uh, part of the buying public and also as a publisher. I've watched the hobby grow and shrink in cycles as the years have grown on. Um, recently I've been hearing about this alleged downturn of the market. Yes, it's true that times are tough all over right now, but it seems to me that many publishers are looking at this downturn and are getting overly pessimistic. I don't think that this is really the time for pessimism. Right now, I'd call this a call to action. I'm in agreement with author Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It's possible to make money in a down market as well as in an up market. Right now, we need to be focusing on how to do that. While, as I've said before, times are tough all over and gas prices are a sure indicator, people all over the country still have a lot of money to spend. 
Recently, I read an article that was published about the comics industry a few years ago. I love comic books, and both the comic book industry and the RPG industry have the same problems in common. Namely, as the previous article just mentioned, there's more of a focus on retailing existing customers than actively pursuing new ones. Uh, Role-playing games are marketed only in gaming magazines and not anywhere else. Heck, most products aren't even marketed at all. When Wizards of the Coast released the alternative version of Gamma World, they didn't even market it in their own magazine or website. I found out about it because there was an article in Dragon about playing mutants in the new game. When I saw that, I went nuts. You know, a new Gamma World game, huh? When I saw that, I had to find out more, and it really wasn't easy. The Wizards website had a, by the way, type of announcement on the alternative section. Yeah, oh, by the way, and uh, with all this alternative news, uh, we're releasing a new Gamma World game. Please. I got into a rather vocal argument with one of Wizards' game designers on the Gamma World list. I asked why Gamma World and the forthcoming third edition of D&D wasn't being advertised as heavily or in the same media as Magic the Gathering, you know, like television. The answer I got was, we can't advertise something unless it gets popular. Gentle gamers, does that not sound bass-ackwards? To advertise is to let people know, hey, look at me, I've got a new product out, you must buy it! If you don't advertise a product and people don't know about it, you really don't have a place saying, it didn't sell well, I don't understand why. Now a point was raised to me about word-of-mouth advertising. I admit, this can be a very effective form of getting the word out. Problem is, if enough people don't know about a product, how can they get the word out? Something needs to get started here, folks. So part of the problem is that there's a dedicated lack of marketing in role-playing games, and what little marketing is done only in gaming magazines. Guys, can you imagine where Ford Motor Company would be if they only advertised in auto magazines? That might sound absurd, but that's what's happening with our beloved hobby. The article I mentioned earlier is called How to Save the Comics Industry by Michael Hutchison, who used to be editor on the DC Comics fan magazine, Fanzing. The article is about the comics industry, but I see a lot of parallels here. Publishers, read it, absorb it, get ideas from it. As a publisher myself, with a few products premiering in the next couple of months, I already have ideas. You betcha. If you own a game store, you need to read this article too. You're part of the solution too, and we can do it. And what can you, my gaming audience, do? Besides spending ungodly amounts of money on game stuff, you don't need those little luxuries like power and water, right? Rent? Okay, you can talk to your friends. Get them interested by offering them something far more interactive than video games or MMORPGs. Buy the D&D Basic Kit and get them started. Find resources for free games on the web and use them. If you don't have a lot of money to spend, the internet is truly your friend. What are the benefits of role-playing? You get to stretch your imagination, have a good time with your buddies. Everybody chips in for munchies, hee-hee. <laughs> Not only that, but this is a hobby that's cheaper than cable television and far more entertaining because you're building the story, not just swallowing whatever crap might be on the tube any given time. One game book costs around $40. You can get years of use out of that one book through mini-adventures or through an extended campaign. How would you feel about spending $40 on years of fun and fellowship with your friends? Ask your friends that. Do demos for your local game shops. Get them involved. Invite the public in. People who have never gamed before need to discover the joys of our hobby. It's not an easy thing to get people interested in, especially with uh, some of the public perceptions about role-playing. But if we all get together, we can do this and make gaming bigger than anything. Now, since we talked about uh, Dave Arneson earlier, back to the news, um, he had to say this about the tragedy of Hurricane Katrina. Dear gaming friends, I have helped organize a hurricane relief fund raffle and auction at Sci-Fi City here in Orlando. All donations will go to the American Red Cross Hurricane Katrina Fund. I urge any other game stores and conventions across the country to do the same. Players, encourage stores and others to give as well. I will also offer to be present at any of these events to lend my assistance and support as my time allows. 
This is a time for all of us to step forward and show that we are real people who care about others. Please contact Dustin Klingman, see the address on our website, if you are organizing such an event. Dave Arneson, ladies and gentlemen. And speaking of Hurricane Katrina, I am ex extremely proud to see that the games industry is reaching out to help the victims. Here's how many companies are doing so. Esprawl Networks, which is the parent grouping of Black Powder Games, is offering hurricane-specific links listings on its website homepage, as well as they donated web forum space specifically for survivors and people on the outside to post and meet online. We have the link on our website to them for this service. Seraphim Guard LLC announced that for the month of September, 50% of all sales of the HeartQuest Anime Shoujo Bundle will go to the Red Cross to help the hurricane victims in New Orleans and surrounding areas. The HeartQuest Anime Shoujo Bundle is now available on RPGnow.com uh, for $9.95, includes both HeartQuest and Steel Roses, the HeartQuest Guide to Mecca. Uh, Adamant Entertainment will be donating 100% of their sales for the month of September to the Red Cross to aid in relief efforts in the disastrous wake of Hurricane Katrina. If there are any uh, Adamant Entertainment products that you've been thinking of picking up, now would be the month to do so. The complete product catalog can be found on their website. In the wake of tragedy caused by Hurricane Katrina, Swords Edge Publishing has also decided to donate all their revenue for the month of September to the American Red Cross. In a quote to GamingReport.com, uh, It won't be as much as we'd like, but we feel the need to do something. From Inner Circle Games, The Inner Circle is pleased to announce that during the month of September, all proceeds from the newly released Fantasy Personae, Sages, Spies, and Informants will be donated to the American Red Cross. The devastation wrought by Hurricane Katrina and the tragic situation along the Gulf Coast affects all of us, and we're proud to stand with many friends in the industry in doing what we can to assist. Tragedies are part of our world, but it's the warmth and generosity of humanity that makes them bearable. Fantasy Personae, Sages, Spies, and Informants is available now from their online store and will be available through both RPG Now and Drive Through RPG. See our links to get the product. Hasbro is making an initial gift of $50,000 to the American Red Cross to assist with the relief efforts, followed by support for the longer-term needs of the children affected by this disaster. In addition, Hasbro is providing games, puzzles, and play school toys to relief shelters to help children and families cope during this difficult time. Hasbro has a long history of providing support to children in need, said Al Vareccia, Hasbro's president and chief executive officer. Our donation will help to provide the immediate short-term needs of the children and families affected by this tragic natural disaster, although the support is really just the beginning for us as we seek to help with the long-term needs of those affected. Privateer Press The recent tragedies in Louisiana and the Gulf states have left many with an urgent desire to assist. In an effort to add to the help of many thousands of generous people already providing assistance to disaster relief, Privateer Press will be producing a miniature exclusively for the purposes of raising money for the cause. This is not an original idea, nor one that we can take credit for in any way, but we are enthusiastic about being in a position to create this opportunity. We have carefully selected a character from the War Machine miniatures line that we feel has the highest demand by our players to see reinterpreted. We will be issuing an alternate version of the popular Dark Prince of Umbri, a uh, Cadoran Warcaster figure. The model will retail for $10, and all proceeds will be donated directly to the American Red Cross. We will keep the model in circulation as long as it continues to be a fruitful method of generating assistance for the disaster relief in Louisiana and the Gulf states. Alternate Dark Prince of Umbre will be ready to ship as early as October as possible. Pre-order with your local game store. Even if you are not a fan, consider this purchase as a way to directly help those who have been affected by recent tragedies, or even better, please consider contributing into the relief efforts in whatever way you can. Jeff Grubb posted in his blog that he's not only given away PDFs of his new RPG for free, he's also donating a dollar, up to $500, to Hurricane Katrina Relief for every person who grabs a copy between now and October 15th. 
I tell you, it warms my heart to see all this outpouring of support. I ask all of you listening to support these companies, buy their products, and help the people of Louisiana while you're at gaming night. Now let's get on with today's theme. Reviews of game systems and the games they power. Today's feature is part of a series that I'll be touching on here and there, but not that often since I'd like to primarily focus on what's current and new. However, most game stores have a bargain bin, and you can find some real treasures there. I'm the type of GM that likes to just buy supplements from other games and convert, bastardize, rip off, and just plain steal from them to add new value to my game. Steal from the game, don't steal from the game store. I really hate shoplifters. I found these two game books have some real value both as additions to existing games or as completely new settings to play in. My friend Ryan Grenier lent me these two books so that I could review them. Thanks, Ryan. The first book I'm bringing to the table is The Willow Source Book, written by veteran gaming author Alan Varney and published by Tor Books. This book is based on the 1988 movie by George Lucas and Ron Howard, one that had me drooling from the first moment I laid eyes on a television commercial for it. I'd been playing Dungeons and Dragons for a few years when it came out, and if it wasn't a game world that looked like it belonged in a D&D game, then I don't know what was. Willow made D&D real for me. It brought it to life in a way nothing else had before, and I think George and Ron were the only two people who could have pulled it off, especially with the special effects at the time. The movie itself was an amazing spectacle of storytelling, action, adventure, and special effects. We as gamers had an infinite special effects budget where we can imagine anything and do anything, so translating that into a movie with a limited budget must have been quite the undertaking. I'd say they did it and did it well. For those who haven't seen it, Willow is the title character, Willow Ufgood, played by Warwick Davis, who is part of a race called the Nelwins. In most gaming worlds, these would be halflings, although the average D&D or AD&D game doesn't allow for halflings to be magic users, which wouldn't be good for Willow since he aspires to be a sorcerer. However, the book does cover Nelwins, who choose to practice magic. In the film's story, Willow finds a baby named Alora Dannon, who is actually a princess destined to destroy the evil sorceress Bav Morda. Since Bath Morda knows of the baby's existence and will most likely try to kill her, Willow becomes Alora's guardian and goes away to protect the village and find a safe haven for Alora. Along the way, he comes across an ally in the form of Mad Mardigan, the self-proclaimed world's greatest swordsman, played by Val Kilmer. Well, more like a reluctant ally. Mad Mardigan doesn't take well to Willow, even resorting to calling him Peck, which is what a lot of humans, called Daikinis in this world, call Nelwins. It's a rude term to use, so you can tell what Mad Mardigan thinks of him. Of note, Nelwins are certainly halflings or hobbits, as they like the comforts of hearth and home just a little too much and don't like to adventure, but unlike hobbits, they can and do fight if the need arises. Willow has to protect Alora from Bav Morda and her general, Kale, who is a perfect example of how Darth Vader could be translated into a fantasy setting. To take an initial look at the book itself, it's simply laid out with very little in the way of garnishment. It's not pretty like many of today's game books, but I find this to be a positive thing, really. All the information is easy to look at and find. There's a series of color plates in the middle of the book which shows stills from the movie, and it makes a nice bit of decoration, as well as showing off some of the world and the characters for those who haven't seen the movie. Actually, come to think of it, just those picks do make it easy for a GM to bring his own campaign to life. Yeah, you see that lady right there? That's Queen Bavmorda. That's who's going to kick your butt here in a few minutes now that you've invaded her workshop. The book is sparsely illustrated, and I kind of wish there'd been more pictures so I know what individual characters look like. The few character illustrations there are resemble thumbnail pics more than anything. However, they are sufficient for what they're needed for. If you've seen the movie and found yourself craving more, this book lives up to its name as the Definitive Guide to the World of Willow. In fact, they even uh, 
did their fact-checking with Lucasfilms to make sure everything was accurate. You'll find a wealth of information on Nelwyn lifestyles, the fairy folk, monster ecology, magical tradition, and the history of the world itself. And I'm really scratching the surface here. Detail is the word here. There's tons of it. There's also a map of the area where the movie takes place. Not too shabby for a 90-page book. Most of the information is given in the form of short story prose, as opposed to the encyclopedic format that most role-playing books use, which makes for better immersion into the game world itself, but it does have the disadvantage that it's difficult to find information at times. In general, if they don't do a sequel or a prequel to the movie, this book is entertaining enough to fill that gap. If you haven't seen the movie, you have a great resource for a new campaign world which is just different enough from the usual barrage of token-inspired worlds you normally see on the market. It has more than enough to get you started and keep you going for quite a while, while allowing just enough speculation to make the world your own. However, if you want to be able to capture the feel of the world, go rent the movie and give it a watch. It's one of my favorites, and I know you'll be glad you did. I rather wish there would have been an adventure or at least some adventure seeds. Willow's World is a pretty big place with a lot of potential for more adventure, but that huge open-ended potential can easily fry a GM's brain. Of course, you can always borrow or steal from other games. Something I also cover is the fact that this is not a self-contained role-playing game. The introduction to the book has a what is role-playing section and covers some basics of RPGs, but you need to have a game to actually play with it. While D&D is not actually mentioned anywhere in the book, the character stats and game mechanics indicate that that's the game that they intended it for. Levels and classes are used here. What's innovative is how they do some of the character levels. On some, like General Kale or Mad Mardigan, they give you their level, but also an alternative level to bring it closer to the average player character in your game. Kale, for instance, is listed as a 14th skill level fighter, but then it notes, or two levels higher than your campaign's highest fighter. That does offer some really good flexibility. In general, though, if you want to run a game in the world of the Willow movie, and you can find this book at your local game store or on eBay, you'll have no problem with everything that's given here. The next game I'm going to cover is called Super Babes, the Femforce role-playing game. This game is based upon the Femforce comic books, which was the first comic to feature an all-female super team. I haven't read the comic myself, although since I found out that there's a website that has back issues, I may just go ahead and order. I've heard good things about the series, and it sounds like a lot of fun, especially going by the game. The game was published back in 1993, so it might be a little bit of a challenge to come by. I have seen it in game shops, however, still in plastic. It's a box set. So they might still be making it. Inside the box you'll find the main rulebook, character sheets, and a sheet of miniatures that you cut out and stand up. However, in the box I got from Ryan, he hadn't cut those miniatures out, so good for him. The rulebook is a fun read. The authors wrote in a real tongue-in-cheek fashion. The rules are very clearly written, but they're fun to just read, even if you don't ever play the game. Thus far, I haven't, but who knows. Character creation is point-based, and you're given 600 points to spend to make a character. With those 600 points, you buy your statistics, known to other systems as attributes for ability scores, powers, and skills. Unlike other point-based systems, I don't see any place where you can get points back by taking weaknesses or disadvantages. Uh, take care when you're making characters, players. If you're stuck for an origin for your character, they give you templates to make characters with. You'll see all the common archetypes that are common in superhero fiction, like aliens, inventors, artificial beings, corporate sponsored, or an accident, or even more. They all do have their point costs, but they sure do make character building easier. There are also skill templates, too. Skills cost around 10 or 20 points, but you can pick a professional template to make it easier. Yeah, the authors did whatever they could to make options for character creation easier. 
The powers list is both entertaining to read and quite simple. I've seen superhero games that either try to make a list of every possible power or aspect and variation of every power, resulting in huge lists to go through. Here, the powers are very broad, so you just buy the power and decide what it looks like. If you have an attack power, you just use Blast. Your attack has an area effect? Take Big Blast! Okay, this you can easily control either a Firebolt or a gigantic Fireball. You take control once, and then you decide what it is that you control, be it mines, machinery, or weather. Change shape covers being stretchy. <clears throat> the powers also have fun names like Go Places and Move Things Without Touching Them. Hey, keep it simple, right? A central thing in the system is power points, which you use to do pretty much anything. They have multiple uses. They start out as hit points, which are used up before you start subtracting from your hits to kill. Uh, and if you're getting close to your hits to kill, then you're really in trouble. You also use power points to activate your powers and to make special combat maneuvers like love taps and haymakers. Your starting power points are the total of all your statistics. I'm not sure if I like that or not, though. Special maneuvers aren't probably something you should be using points for, but then again, they are rare actions, aren't they? But still, the idea to spend a power point to do a special kind of punch. Eh. There doesn't seem to be a single uniform die-rolling system. Each skill has its own special role, and combat is done by looking at a chart, comparing your character's level, yes, this is a level system, but it doesn't have any classes, uh, to her opponent's hit ability score, and then rolling above that number on 1d20. Very easy combat system, really, but the lack of a single mechanic for doing things adds a little unnecessary complexity. Now, there is one mechanic in this game that I love, bimbo points. Bimbo points are used to do impossible things that are in comics that RPGs can never really get right, like a near-impossible shot, or use your power in a way that's not in the description. You decide what you want to do, declare it, and you take a bimbo point. When you take a bimbo point, the action always succeeds, no matter what. An example they use in the book is when Sin, the lady from LSD, tricked someone, and then used her powers to put the other character into a fantasy world, in her own mind. Normally, she shouldn't be able to do that, and if she did it all the time, well, wouldn't, there wouldn't be much use for the rest of Femforce, would there? The drawback to taking uh, bimbo points, and yes, guys can take bimbo points too, is that the GM rolls against your total at the beginning of every session on 1d20. If the roll is less than your bimbo point total, they roll on a special chart for what's called a bimbo event. The bimbo event can result in your character having her costume completely destroyed, gaining 10 pounds in the wrong places and everyone noticing, bad publicity, or even having her mind switched with someone else. I love this mechanic. So, Super Babes is a lot of fun, and looks like it would be a really fun game to play. Character creation is easy, if a little math intensive. I give the game a B+. Get ready, players. Here's my game tip for this episode. You probably heard me say earlier that I like to rip off from other games and supplements. These two gems are no exception. How can you possibly use them in your game? The creative GM will certainly find a way. Let's jumpstart those brain cells right here, shall we? Now, bargain bins are a great place to find adventures and new ideas for your games, no matter how old the games are. One common misconception I've seen with gamers, especially gamers that have only been playing for a year or so, is that you can't play an adventure that the publisher of their game didn't write. I keep hearing, you mean I can write my own? Well, yes, you can. Some companies don't have the resources to write a ton of adventures, so you kind of have to write your own. If you're stuck, head to your game store's bargain bin or sales shelf. Pre-owned games and older games and adventures that they couldn't sell before are terrific sources for inspiration. 
Plot is plot, really, so you don't have to do a lot of conversions. For instance, I recently found an adventure for the original Chill game from Pace Setter Games. It wouldn't take much work to adapt it to a superhero game or D20 Modern. Heck, fantasy horror wouldn't be too bad either. This works not only for adventures, but for whole games. Why not borrow a game mechanic from another game for your personal one? The bimbo points from Super Babes would make a fantastic addition to any game to make it a little more cinematic, especially Super's games, although you might change the name depending on your setting. The point of a role-playing game is to have fun. You're allowed to change, add, or take out rules for your group. Do what works. Stealing in this case is a good thing, and I encourage it, although I prefer to call it inspiration. That's it for today's show. Next time I'll be covering furry games with a focus on the new Kevin and Kel game from Comstar, which is based upon the popular webcomic. Tune in two Tuesdays from now, say that three times as fast, and remember, your input helps me make this show better. Thank you for those who have already written in, I really appreciate it. Remember, we can be found now at www.rpgshowcase.com, and you can write to me at mike at rpgshowcase.com. See you in two, folks, and may all those monsters get what's coming to them. <laughs>